Amen. Thank you, guys. Can I steal this? Thanks, bro. All right, y'all, how we doing tonight? Wednesday, we're halfway there, okay? Boo. All right, hey, let me remind you of something, okay? Night one, we talked about this, that I made two commitments to you and I asked for one back. Hey, the two commitments I made to you, number one, right, everything we talk about is going to come from God's word. Hey, so I'm not standing up here going like, hey, here's Austin Payne's best thoughts on life, right? Here's some philosophical ideology on how you should live your life. Here's some good advice. Here's some good wisdom. Everything we talk about is rooted and grounded in the greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety. And every night we've been diving into this book, Genesis through Revelation, 66 different books written by 40 different authors, three continents, three languages, written over 2,000 years that tells one story. And I hope that a part of this week has maybe reignited or maybe for the first time inspired you to dive into God's word with a new sense, a new understanding that if there is a God of the universe that always has been, that always will be. That this God who spoke into existence creation, if he spoke to us, if he chose to reveal himself to us, maybe, just maybe it's worth listening to. It's worth diving into. It's worth maybe taking a deep dive and understanding, God, if you have spoken, maybe we should listen. And so number one, my first commitment is everything we talk about is going to come from God's word. My second one is that I'm not going to dumb this down. Right? Remember, I'm not, I'm not going to go like, all right, boys and girls, like, there's a God, all right? Right? No, we're, we're going to talk about real stuff. And tonight, one of those things that we talk about, right, it's this topic of sin. And if I can just be totally honest with you, y'all, right, like there are some messages where I stand up here. Anybody else like food? Anybody? Okay, cool. So there are some messages. There are some sermons, y'all, that like I get to stand up on stage and there's some sermons that are like a nice just like ribeye steak, right? And some messages are like a nice ribeye steak that's been like perfectly aged, that's like at room temperature, salt and pepper on both sides. It's just like eased into that, throw it on the grill, hot both sides, let it sear, a nice medium rare. The mashed potatoes are cooking inside, right? I got the corn on the cob, a nice salad, of course, right? With at least like one uh, fruit and a nut in there, like a nice balanced salad. I sit down to that meal, I know, I know. And some messages are standing up on stage and going like, mm, I love this. I love that I get to communicate this. And other messages, other sermons are like broccoli, okay? And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about, look, listen, listen, listen. I'm not talking about like cooked broccoli. I'm not talking about like seared, like delicious broccoli. I'm talking about like that tray, the like dip tray with the kind of like okay ranch in the middle with like that uncooked broccoli that's always the last thing on that tray, right? And you're just kind of like, ugh, right? It's like that broccoli. Some messages, I stand up here and I go like, hey, I, to be totally honest, like this is, this is a hard truth to communicate, and yet I love you way too much to not communicate this truth. And that when we open up God's word, it's hard to get away from the fact that we are sinners and that sin is present in this world. And, and, and friends, if we're not careful, 
This talk can be one of those talks that either does one of two things. Either we don't take it seriously enough and we just kind of go like, eh, sin, whatever. Or it becomes a talk that's like filled and packed with shame. Right? To feel conviction or to feel guilt about sin is one thing, right? And I believe that's a, that's a healthy thing, to do something wrong and to feel conviction in that and to do something about it. But as soon as your guilt starts to communicate, this is who you are, Friends, shame was, has no place in the presence of God. Right? Your sin, to feel conviction over that sin, and this is what we're going to talk about all night, that is a good, healthy thing. But to say, this is who you are, and you don't even deserve to be in the, like, that, like because you are this broken, like, th- that shame that we start feeling as an identity, that's not God's word, and that's not God's truth of who you are. And so sin, my favorite definition of sin is this. And if you're taking notes tonight, write this down and then we're going to unpack it. My favorite definition of sin right now is written, uh, there's this uh, author, John Mark Comer, and he writes a book where he's talking about disinformation and the deception of our enemy. And he defines sin as this. He says, sin is our unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is actually our deepest happiness. Sin is our unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is actually our deepest happiness. Hey, y'all met Piper last night, yeah? Um, Piper woke up this morning at 7 a.m., and she looked at me and she said, Dada, I want ice cream. Hey, now, I know y'all aren't parents, right? But if you, just like, just pretend with me for a second. If you, if, like, we're in my shoes, and you wanted Piper to be happy, and she goes, Dada, I want ice cream. What do you say? Yes, right? Yes, of course I want to give you ice cream, right? Like, if you've ever seen a two and a half year old with ice cream, it's amazing, right? Like, even today we went to the snack shop and she just got like a little sample of ice cream. And she takes a bite and it's instant, it's like instant bliss, right? She's like, oh, it's like so good, right? But if I want Piper, like, if I want her deepest level of happiness, I want what's best for her. When Piper wakes up at 7 a.m. and goes, Dad, I want ice cream, I say no. Right? But the problem is with that, sometimes when we hear that no, like when Piper hears no, like any two and a half year old, when you don't get what you want, what, what follows? Crying, tantrum, piss, right? She looks at me like, I knew you didn't love me, right? Like there's this, there's this moment of going like, I don't like that, no. And we're going to see and we're going to unpack in this story that sin is actually our unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is our deepest happiness. Okay, so I want you to open up your Bible, if you have it with you, to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to land in Daniel eventually, but I want to, I want to go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, that big number 1 is your chapter, that little number is your verse. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Hey, and this is, we're going all the way back to the beginning of this story. And as we go all the way back to the beginning of this story, the reason I want to start here is because I want to look at how did God create you and I before it was broken? Right? Can we go all the way back to understand what was God's intention? What was God's purpose? Right? Why did he create this? Okay, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and Meadow Ranch, if you're there, give me a nice loud preach. preach. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Hey, pause right there and look up at me. So God goes back to the beginning of this story, and as we go back to the beginning, we understand that we are the peak of God's creation. He makes the the trees and the stars and the seas and the land and the mountains, and he does all of this, and then his like masterpiece is you and I. Male and female, he created them in his image. But friends, do we get this? Do we understand this? You and I, human beings, are the only thing in creation that has trouble obeying the creator. The rest of creation obeys and has no problem obeying. And yet you and I, being made in God's image, we're the only ones that have trouble with that obedience. Why? Because forced love is not love at all. And so God creates us with this free will, with this ability to choose to obey or choose not to obey, to choose to love or to choose not to love. I got married to Paige on August 11th, 2018, and I want you to pretend with me just for a second, right, in the middle of our uh, story, in the middle of the engagement, and going down to Mexico and getting married and going on a honeymoon and coming home, just imagine with me for a second that when Paige got home and we moved into our first place together, that I had a 150-page binder waiting for her. And in that binder was listed out word for word, minute by minute, hour by hour, exactly how Paige was supposed to act in order for her to love me. And I went, here you go, babe. Right? Now that we're married, here's your wife manual on exactly, exactly laid out, minute by minute, everything that you have to do to love me. None of you are going to go, aww, so cute, right? Like, oh, like I want that kind of relationship right? Like, no, none of you, right? All of you, all of you unanimously are going to go, psycho, right? Like, that's crazy talk. Why? Because we know, we understand that forced love is not love at all. So God creates us from a place of perfect love and then gives us the choice. And then we see in Genesis chapter 3, turn over just one page. It says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, Adam and Eve find themselves in the garden and they have this perfect relationship with the God of the universe. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And the the serpent here is the personification of our enemy. And it says, the serpent said to the woman, these four words that changed the course of history, we've already talked about this week, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from that tree that it's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. He says, you certainly won't die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, you'll be made like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord. This is the first response to sin is their shame sets in and they hide. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Now pause real quick and look up at me, okay? When God says, where are you? God didn't lose Adam and Eve, right? An all-knowing, all-powerful God wasn't like, I left him right here. 
Right? Like God didn't make a mistake here. This is God, when God asks this question, this question is coming from a relational place. Right? This is like the moment where uh, if, if I see Piper, like if we tell Piper, we're like, hey, homegirl, like we're not gonna eat any more chocolate today. Like we're done with chocolate. And then we're like, well, okay, dada. And she goes, okay, dada. Right? And I walk back in the room. She's got like chocolate on her fingers and like chocolate on her face. And I go, hey, Pipes, did you eat more chocolate? Am I asking my daughter if she ate more chocolate? No. What am I doing? This is, this is me getting down going like, hey, homegirl, like, can we, can we talk real quick? Ha <laughs> This is for a second. Remember now, okay? Coco, y'all ever heard of Cocomelon? When I, bent down on a, when I bent down on a knee, it pressed the button and the, mu- the, the music started playing, okay? When I ask this question to Piper and I go, hey, Piper, did you, did you eat chocolate? I'm not asking her, right? Like this isn't, I, it's, I can see it all over. The evidence is there. So when God says, hey, where are you? This is God understanding and knowing that for the first time, his creation is doubting who he is and what he has to say. Now, y'all remember Matthew chapter seven? If you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, you'll be like the man, you'll be like the woman who builds their house on the the rock. For the very first time, for the very first time, God knows that Adam and Eve have decided, God, we don't really trust you, and we don't really trust what you have to say, and we see sin enter into the picture and unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is actually our deepest happiness. They take it into their own hands and say, we want to do what we want to do when we'd want to do it and how we want to do it, and immediately we see that that sin has a consequence. Okay? Uh, Coco Melon. Y'all heard of this show? Uh, this show, arguably, arguably the worst show that has ever, ever. But, but, for some reason, right, for some reason, if you've ever been around this show, for some reason, like if you put this show on in front of any amount of toddlers and they're doing anything and you put it on a TV, like all of them unanimously, it's like. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't fully understand why, but a, a number of, uh, this was like probably a year ago now, uh, my wife Paige, she flew to Tennessee for a conference with a couple other ladies at our church. And uh, it was the first time that I had like a four day stretch with like just me and Piper. And so I was like, I was stoked for it. I was excited to spend this time with my daughter. And uh, day one, we're like waking up, getting ready. I'm making coffee. And I'm like, hey, Pipes, you want to watch a show for a little bit? Like in the morning, it'll be like, you know, quick 15-minute show so homie can make his pour over, right? And I'm like, we're going we're gonna to hang out. We're going to do this. We're going to watch a little bit of a show. And then at the end of that 15 minutes, Coco Melon's playing. And she has this toy in her hands, right? This Coco Melon toy, which, by the way, if you ever really, really don't like somebody and they have kids, just get them toys that play songs like this. I know some of you are like turning off already. Others of you are like, right? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Notice it's still going. This is one click of the button. Okay, look, 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 look. It just stopped. 
That was one click of the button. So at the, I tell Pipes at the end of this 15 minute period of watching Coco Melon, which was already torture, right? I, I tell him like, hey homie, like we're, we're not gonna, we're gonna be done with shows for the day. And so she grabs the toy and she just starts button mashing this thing. And she's just like, like, and if you button mash this thing, it's, it's even worse than the whole song because then it's just like, I'm thankful for the, I'm thankful for the, I'm, I'm thankful for the, I'm thankful. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm literally, I'm 30 minutes in. I'm 30 minutes into watching Piper, like me and her, like one-on-one. -on -one, and I had all these plans for like the things that I wanted to do with her. Because like, y'all, like I want a relationship with my daughter that when she's older, Right? When she's a teenager, when she's a junior higher like you guys, like, I want her and I to have this like, trusting, deep friendship, like this relationship where she can come to me with anything and we can like, walk through life together. And, and 30 minutes into our four days, all she wants to do is she's just like, staring at this thing like button mashing. And I'm like, you're, you're missing it, right? I'm like, pipes. Like everything that I desire in relationship with you, everything that I had planned out for this week, right? Like I had San Diego Zoo passes. We're going to the safari park. Like I want to go down to the beach. I got the beach toys all packed. The, the depth of relationship that I desire with my daughter and she's sitting on the couch just button mashing a Cocoa Melon toy. And when I go, hey, can we do something other than Cocoa Melon? She's like, no, right? And I'm like, pipes, you're missing it. But friends, friends, how often, how often, does the God of the universe, how often does the God of the universe desire relationship with us? Invite us into life that's actually life, like John chapter 10, verse 10 puts it. And says, this is what I desire, and you and I settle. We settle for a button-mashing cocoa melon toy, and we go, our unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is actually our deepest happiness leads us to sin over and over and over and over again, and it's a settling. Right? If you're anything like me, remember night one we talked about, I thought Christianity was boring. And I went, it's just a bunch of rules and regulations. What if, what if those rules were in place because God desires life that's actually life for you? And I, I got to go on a missions trip a number of years back to this place called the Dominican Republic. And um, for whatever reason, I love staying in hotels. Like, I'm a big hotel fan, right? Like, how many of you, how many of you like the comfort of your own bed? Okay, cool. Okay, like, I get it. Trust me, I understand it. Like, I love my own bed too. But there's something about going to a hotel, right, where you can, like, leave the room like messy and the towels on the floor and like the bed unmade and you come back like later in the day and it's like crisp sheets, new towels and you're like, this is awesome. I get used to this, right? So we go to the Dominican Republic. I got all my students with me. We're checking into the hotel and, and, and I'm like stoked to stay in this hotel and we're at the front desk and we're checking in and we're starting to have this conversation with like the lady behind the front desk and I was like, oh, interesting. Like foreign country, like same conversation though. She's getting given like the room keys and everything, the whole spiel. And I'm like, cool, this is awesome. And then at the end of her hotel spiel, she looks at me and she goes, hey, by the way, Mr. Payne. And I'm like, mm, yeah, what's up? I'm like about to divvy out the key cards to students and whatnot. She goes, hey, by the way, um, there's this field behind the hotel and like the, the Dominican Republic, it's a, it's a civil war, war-torn country. And so within the last couple of decades, there's been multiple civil wars. And there's this field behind the hotel that there's still some like landmines in that field. So just be careful if you go back there. Anyways, enjoy your stay. And I was like, I'm sorry. It sounded like I was with you with the key cards and the, the hotel and all that. But it sounded a lot like you just said landmines. And she's like, mm-hmm, enjoy your stay. And I'm like, okay, right? 
as a youth pastor, right? Youth leaders in the room, youth pastors, counselors in the room, can you just level with me for a second? There's like, there's probably on the, on the top list of phone calls you don't want to make, number one is when you're in a foreign country and you got to call home and go, hey, Mrs. Wilson? <laughs> yeah, no, good, good, yeah, yeah, how are you doing? Um, you know Timmy? Of course you know Timmy, it's your son. Uh, you know how he used to have two legs, right? <laughs> like, that's, that's not the phone call you want to make as a youth pastor. So as a loving youth pastor to my students, I go, hey, hey, the field behind the hotel, off limits. We're not going there. We're not going into that field. Why? Because I'm not risking it. Hey, so you might call me and be like, oh, come on. So many rules, so many regulations. And I go, friends, I don't want my students to die. Like, forgive me. If you Google, if you Google define freedom, the definition of freedom is being able to do whatever you want, wherever you want, however you want. And I look at that in this scenario and I go, bogus. If I gave my students the freedom to go and play in that field and do whatever they wanted to do, that's not loving, right? That's, that's setting them up for failure. And so I look at the Bible and I see a God that lays out for us, lays out for his people in the Old Testament, 613 commands. And it would have been this easy. Like, why couldn't we have gone into that field in the Dominican Republic and like with one of those like, uh, you know, those like uh, metal detector things with the headphones? Like, why couldn't we go back there and just go, Beep, 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 cone, 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 certain death, right? And then just kept searching. Beep, 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 cone, 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 certain death. Beep, 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 certain, just mapped out the whole field. And then we look at the field, we go everywhere where there's cones, if you go there, landmine. Don't go there. Everywhere else, you're free to play there. If I would have said you're free to play wherever you want, that's not freedom. And so when we look at the God of the Bible, and he invites us into doing life his way, what if God loved you enough to demonstrate if you make life about cone, 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 it will lead to certain death. Cone, 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 certain death. Cone, 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 certain death. I'm gonna give you commands. I'm gonna remind you of who I am so that you can trust me and trust what I say. Okay, so turn to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to look at three, uh, three sins, three cone, cone, cone areas that we see in Nebuchadnezzar's life that I think we are all prone to. Daniel chapter 4. And already in the life of Daniel, we've seen two of them, and then we're going to see the third one in Daniel chapter 4. The first one, if you're taking notes and you want to just write these references down, the first cone, cone, cone sin that I think we're all prone to, we saw it already in Daniel chapter 2, verses 47 through 49. Daniel chapter 3, verse 28, and here in Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Right, do you remember... Uh, when Nebuchadnezzar, Nez, he asks, he asks the Israelites the, or, or the magistrates and the magicians and all that to not only interpret his dream, but tell him what the dream was. Remember this? Right? And then Daniel comes forward and he says, look, nobody can do that, but my God can. And he tells him what the dream is and then he interprets it for him. And then Nebuchadnezzar goes, oh, praise be to the God of Daniel, to the God of Israel, right? Like your God is the one and only true God. And then chapter three, verse one, then Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, right? He goes, what? You recognize who God is? 
and then you make an image of gold. And then we see it in three verse, or chapter 3, verse 28, after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are rescued from the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar again gives God this lip service. He declares who this God is. And then here in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar to the nations and peoples of every language who live in the earth, may you prosper greatly. It's my great pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Hey, pause real quick and look up at me. Three places, three times, we see Nebuchadnezzar know things about God, but not know God. And I think the first sin, the first area that we get tripped up in is when we think we know better than God knows because we, we know about God, but we don't really know God. See, my, my wife Paige is like a massive Swifty, okay? Like big Taylor Swift fan. I know. But here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing, okay? We're going to a, we're going to a Taylor Swift concert in August and y'all, y'all, I kind of like Taylor Swift too, okay? I know, I know. But here's, here's the thing, okay? My, my wife knows, like, she knows so much about Taylor Swift. Like, she knows, like, the outfit changes in this. Like, she has a shirt that says, she literally has a t-shirt that says, I'm in my mom era, right? Like, homegirl, like, Paige knows, she knows all the, like, history. She knows the lyrics. She knows all these things about Taylor Swift. If we, for whatever reason, like, let's just say Paige and I found ourselves backstage at a Taylor Swift concert, and we were able to, like, be in the green room, and we, like, knocked on the door, and we're like, Miss Swift, right? Like, we walked back there, and, like, we, we walked into the green room, and it's Paige and I, and we were like, Taylor wouldn't be like, oh, hey, guys, why? Because Taylor doesn't know anything about, like, we can know everything there is to know about Taylor, but it doesn't mean that we know Taylor. Do you understand what I'm saying, right? Like, you can know everything there is to know about God and not actually know God. And here we see Nebuchadnezzar over and over and over again declare who this God is and even know things about that God, but he has no relationship with that God. There's nothing in his life that demonstrates that he knows that God. He just knows things about that God. So number one, the first thing that we get tripped up on, the first area that I think God is going to warn us about is knowing things about him, but not actually knowing him. The second one we saw in chapter three verses one through seven, and we talked about this a little bit last night, right? In chapter three, it says the very first thing that Nebuchadnezzar does after declaring who this God is, is he makes an image of gold. And the sin number two that the Bible talks about extensively, it's one of the top 10 commandments. He said, it says, thou shall not have any other gods before me. It's the sin of idolatry. And maybe we talked about this a little bit last night, but I want to just, I want to just remind you and challenge you Maybe even, uh, maybe even to take a moment tonight and have a conversation in your cabin time where you just go, hey, what are the things in our lives that we think become idols if we don't look out for them? If we're not, if we're not consistently aware of these things, what are the, th the, the good things in life that if we make them God things, if we put them on a pedestal, if we put them on the throne of our life, they can become idols in our life? Every single one of us in this room, our hearts are idol factories. Consistent, 
all the time. We, worship is not something we do, it's something we are. So the question is not if you will worship, it's who or what you will worship. Friends, can I just let you in on something that's like challenging? If the band steps up here and invites you into a time of worship through music, which worship through music is one way that we can worship, it's not the only way. But if they invite you into worship through music and you sit down and go, this isn't for me. Friend, you're missing out. Because worship isn't something you do, it's something you are. So if you just go, oh, I'm not gonna worship, it's not that you're not worshiping, you're just choosing not to worship God and you are worshiping something else. It might be yourself. It might be uh, the, the image that you want to portray of yourself to the people around you. It might be being like you want to be the funny guy, you want to be the funny girl. It might be a sport in your life that you make the, 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 the end-all be-all. It might be success. Some of you are already going like, I need to pay attention to my grades because I need to get like this GPA in high school and I gotta go to this college so I can get this job. Like, we can put that as an idol in our life. It might be popularity, how we're perceived by others. Friends, Nebuchadnezzar was absolutely guilty of idolatry by setting up an idol to himself. But we're foolish to think that this was a Nebuchadnezzar problem. Every single one of us in this room wrestle with idolatry, myself included. And I have to consistently go back to God and say, how do I put you on the throne? Because if you're not on the throne, my heart will put something else in that place. Number three, we're gonna see it in chapter four. Nebuchadnezzar's gonna have another dream. And in this dream, Daniel's gonna interpret it for him. And essentially in this dream, Daniel's gonna go, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, if you don't stop making your life about you, there's going to be a consequence for your pride. Hey, cone, 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 sin number three is pride. Hey, number one is knowing things about God but not knowing God. Number two is idolatry. Number three is pride. And all throughout the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, we see pride making life about me, thinking that I'm the main character of this story. Hey, some of us, friends, some of us wrestle with this more than others. But can I just let you in on, on, a, on a little secret? Hey, pride, I think we think that pride manifests itself like this. Hey, we look at pride and we go like, oh, pride is, is when a guy or a girl walks around going like, look at me, like I'm awesome. Like pride is reserved for like the guy or the girl that's just like, that makes life all about them. But can I just let you in on something? Boys, you with me? We good? Yep, okay, cool. Pride can manifest itself like this. When we're incredibly insecure, when we are incredibly uh, self-conscious, if you walk into a room and your insecurities take over and your self-consciousness takes over, friends, can I just let you in on a little something? And I don't say this in a judgmental way. I, I wanna invite you into a freedom that only God can give you. When we are self-conscious, that's also pride because we're just conscious of self. We're so consumed with other people's opinions of us that it becomes prideful. Our self-consciousness, our insecurity, our constant need to be the center of attention. Right? Maybe throughout chapel even, like you feel the need to constantly get the attention of the person to your left or the person to your right. Like you can't focus in chapel because you're just making it about you over and over and over again. And again, I'm not saying this to be mean. 
I'm inviting you into a life that God's inviting you into to going, hey, you were never meant to be the main character of your story. You weren't designed that way. And a self-consciousness or a, a, an egomaniac, a pride that makes everything about themselves, we're missing out on putting God in his rightful place and understanding what life is meant to be and how life was meant to be lived. And so hear, hear this warning of Daniel. I love this. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 27, it says this. This is Daniel talking to Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Verse 28, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon that I have built? As the royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty... Even as the words were on his lip, a voice came from heaven and said, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives to anything he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar falls into the trap of his own pride and he makes life about him. And understand and know that God is consistently inviting you back into relationship with himself. But sin also has a consequence. And I just want to end uh, with a little bit of a visual to understand. Right, that I think if we're not careful, friends, I think you and I can fall into a trap of thinking that we're not that bad. And when we hear a talk like this, maybe about sin, we look around and we think like, I, I can find a guy or a girl, I can find people around me that like they're doing way worse things than I am. And when we fall into this trap of, of thinking that sin isn't that bad, then we take for granted how good God is. And so we, we fall into this trap by comparing people to our left and to our right rather than understanding that our sin was never meant to be compared to our left or to our right, but our sin, we were meant to look to a perfect God that invites us into a perfect relationship with him and understand that our sin creates a, 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 a distance, a chasm between us and God, that an all-holy, all-perfect God cannot be in the presence of sin, and so our sin creates a brokenness and it fractures our relationship with him. Our idolatry, our pride, our thinking that we know him but we don't actually know him, it creates a break in our relationship with him. And so when we look to our left and we look to our right and we compare ourselves this way, we miss out on the fact that our own brokenness, our own sin has to constantly lead us back to understanding that we need a helper, we need a savior outside of ourselves. When I was a freshman in high school, I was uh, five foot two, about 100 pounds, right? I was just like this teensy, tiny, like puberty didn't hit for me until like my junior year of high school. And then, like even then, I like started growing. I grew like three inches in college. Like I, it was way later for me that I became tall. But when I was a freshman in high school, we, and so even like junior high, late elementary school, like I was like this teeny tiny kid. And we would come back to the US uh, on furloughs for the summers and whatnot. And we would always go to theme parks. We go to like Six Flags or Disneyland or whatever, and there was always rides that I couldn't ride because I was too small. And I would go up to the ride and I would like do the whole thing. Like, you know when you're trying to be tall and you like puff out your chest and you're like, and you're like trying to be like extra tall and you stand like stuffed socks in your shoes, like wearing the platform shoes, cowboy boots, trying to be like a little bit taller so you can go on these rides, right? And, and like if, if, if you're measuring up 
to you must be this tall to go on this ride, then it's a very obvious, like, you're either, you're either tall enough or you're not, right? Does that make sense? In fact, uh, James, cruising up here real quick, my friend. And then Casey, my guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cruise on up. Okay. James, I like the fit. You're looking good. What's up, James? That was clean. That was clean. Okay. Uh, James, how tall are you? Five foot. Five foot? My man. All five foot of his glory, okay? And then, Casey, how tall are you? Six, seven. Six, seven. Okay. Now, if you look at these guys, right, one of them is not like the other, okay? Like, Five feet tall, six foot seven, okay? So if these two walk up to each other, and let's just say, right? Like, let's just say when we read the Bible, the Bible says, like, in order to be saved, in order to be right with God, you must be this tall to get into heaven. Let's just say it's like six feet tall, right? Casey, Casey gets to walk up to six feet tall and goes, I laugh in the face of six feet tall, six, seven, Hey, and James walks up to six feet tall going, I'm a foot away. Like, I'm, I'm not close. And when we compare this way and we look to our right and we look to our left, and friends, we do this, right? Yeah, extra tall now. Get, get down, okay? We do this, right? If we're not careful, we can look at people and we go, well, I, like, when I look at my sin and I look at her sin, like, she's way worse than I am. And we seem to think that we can compare her sin versus my sin and somehow think that I'm closer to being saved because my sin isn't as bad as her sin. But the reality of scripture, friends, is not that the you must be this tall to ride, you must be this tall to be right with God, you must be this tall to get into heaven. It's not at six feet. See, what the Bible says is that in order to be in the presence of God, you must be righteous which righteous is a big churchy word that means right with God. The Bible says, be perfect as I am perfect. And so it's more like we walk up to the Empire State Building, right? If you go to the very tippy top of the Empire State Building, it's 1,250 feet tall. If you go to the top of the Empire State Building and you put a, you must be this tall to ride sign at the very top of the Empire State Building, can you imagine Can you imagine how ludicrous it would be if Casey walked up to the Empire State Building and went, am I close? Right? At 1,250 feet, we look at six foot seven and five foot oh and go, you're not close. Neither one of you. Like, imagine how ludicrous it would be if he walked up, if they both walked up to the Empire State Building and, and Casey like puffs out his chest and goes and goes, At least I'm a foot seven inches closer. Both of them, the only appropriate response, if you must be this righteous, you must be this perfect to get into heaven, to have a relationship with this God, if that's 1,250 feet in the air, both of them should walk up and go, I can't. I need something outside of myself in order to be right with God, in, in order to mend this relationship. And so this is where, friends, our prayer tonight is this. 
that God would convict where he needs to convict, he would remind where he needs to remind, but that every single one of us in this room would take our sin seriously. In just a minute here, I'm gonna pray us out and Harry's gonna come back up here and then y'all are gonna go to cabin time and my challenge is this, when you go into cabin time, tonight take it seriously and whether your sin is super obvious to you or maybe you've been downplaying your sin, would you see either one of those scenarios as five foot oh and six foot seven walking up to 1,250 feet and going, my sin is a problem and it's keeping me from God. So give it up for these guys and then pray with me. God, we thank you for tonight. God, and we thank you for Hume Lake. We thank you for Meadow Ranch, God, in this place that we can come. We can open up your word and we can be reminded of truth. And I pray in this room, the 500 and something of us sitting here, God, would you reveal to us the areas in our life where maybe we know things about you, but we don't really know you. God, maybe there's idolatry present in our life where we're making other things our main thing. We're putting other things on the throne of our life. Or maybe there's a pride. And maybe it's a, an egomaniac pride, or maybe it's just an extreme insecurity, a self-consciousness. God, I pray that you would free us of that pride tonight, that when we make our life about you, and we give you that self-consciousness, we give you that pride, and we put you on the throne, God, it frees us up to live life your way, the way that you designed us. God, thank you that what you desire for us is our deepest happiness. Would we lean into that tonight? Understand that you're a God that created us from purpose, for purpose. You're a God that loves us. But God, would we take our sins seriously so we can understand how good the gospel is? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.